0: And welcome back to Past Loves, the weekly history podcast that explores affection, infatuation, and attachment across time to bring you the lighter side of history and a touch of romance to daily life. I'm Holly, your true romantic host, and can you believe that we are halfway through the second season of the podcast and today is the first Tudor love story that will have been featured. I don't know how I've managed to make this happen, but I, for one, am very excited about it. Now, personally, I mainly focus on early modern and modern history, so Tudor history is not often something that I come across, apart from in the context of the wonderful TV series The Tudors, of course. Which, uh, frankly, I don't think is a bad thing. But, um, it's not necessarily the most accurate source of Tudor history. So, I'm very excited to be actually delving into a proper love story from the Tudor era. It is a story that was completely new to me. I have to thank Klinos. To whom this episode is dedicated Because back in July when I asked my lovely Instagram community Can you tell I'm slightly obsessed with it? I feel like I discuss it every single week on the podcast But, I mean, if you're not following me at Past Loves Podcast, why not? Um. Anyway, back in July when I asked... Yes, my lovely Instagram followers which stories should be covered in the next series. Klinos, who is called At This Cat Lady Life, mentioned this couple Catherine Grey, aka Lady Jane Grey's sister, and Edward Seymour. As soon as I started to look into Catherine and Edward's story, I was quite taken with the descriptions of them enjoying a fragrant summer of banquets and garden walks at Eltham in 1559, and there really is so much romance to this story, but also it is a tale of forbidden love quite unlike any other. To delve into their love story, I am joined by Melita Thomas. Now, Melita is the co-founder and editor of Tudor Times, where you can find out a wealth of information about Britain in the period from 1485 to 1625, and it's at www.tudortimes.co.uk. She has also written two books the first of which was the King's Pearl, Henry VIII and his daughter Mary, which led her to want to know more about the Tudors' cousins, the Greys, who were, of course, prominent members of the court. The result of which was her second book, The House of Grey, Friends and Foes of Kings. Now, within the Tudor Times Insight series, Which brings together a range of articles about the Tudor Times person of the month and other popular articles. I would personally highly recommend the Tudor Times Insights, Lady Catherine Grey, Tudor Prisoner, which explores the life of the ill-fated Grey sister whose secret marriage called down the Queen's wrath. Yes, that's right. I told you in the preview for this series it was going to be the series of Secret Marriages, here is your second, and quite frankly, it is a remarkable and gut-wrenching tale of love between Catherine Gray and Edward Seymour. Welcome Alita, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So we're going to talk today about Lady Catherine Grey and Edward Seymour. And I think maybe we should start by having an introduction to Lady Catherine Grey because we kind of recognize the name but not her name specifically normally her sister. So what did it mean to be a Grey sister at this time?
1: Well, as you mentioned her older sister Jane is far more famous, but there were three sisters, Jane, Catherine and Mary, and their father was Henry Marcus of Dorset when Catherine was born. And he was actually the descendant of Queen Elizabeth Woodville by her first marriage. And her mother, Lady Frances Brandon, was the niece of Henry VIII. So her parents were in fact distant cousins, but they were married when they were about 16 in 1533, I think off the top of my head. And then they had three daughters, Jane, Catherine and Mary. Now, Henry Marquis of Dorset, he did have various roles at Henry VIII's court, but Henry VIII didn't have a terribly high opinion of his political capabilities, so he was always a a sort of, um, he took part in various ceremonies. So he was made a knight of the Bath at the coronation of Anne Boleyn, and he carried the king's sword, and he also took part in the ceremonies to welcome Anne of Cleves, as he was the king's nearest male relative. But... He didn't get a place on the council. He didn't get any office of responsibility um, because Henry you know, sort of didn't think terribly highly of him um, intellectually or politically. Francis, she was, as I say, the daughter of Mary, the French queen. She was on good terms with her uncle, Henry VIII, also on good terms with Henry's oldest daughter, Mary. The two cousins were of the same age and had spent quite a lot of their youth and childhood together. She was... Sort of one of the great ladies of the court, but she wasn't officially a lady in waiting to any of the queens. But she did attend as uh, Catherine Parr to a degree, but not not in an official capacity, but just as the king's niece. So during Henry's reign, Catherine was too young to have had anything to do with the court. She was only a child when he died, and even during Edward's reign, um, she didn't play any part at all at court until she was married in 1553 which I guess we'll come to.
0: Yes, because it's actually quite important, Henry VIII's act of succession and then his will, because they both affected Catherine, didn't they? Can you explain what they were and how they influenced her life?
1: Yes. Well, I mean, the whole succession issue was a a huge problem for Henry VIII. I mean, we all know he had six wives in order to, to try to get a male heir. Now, before Henry VIII came along, the rules were Fairly straightforward. At common law, sons succeeded their fathers, and there was no rule against women succeeding their fathers, although it hadn't worked out on the previous attempt back in the 12th century for that to happen. So, in theory, while Henry was married for the first time, he had a daughter, she was probably his heir. Then, of course, he decided that he wanted to have a son, and he went through the whole performance of getting rid of Catherine of Aragon, marrying Anne Boleyn, having another daughter. And there was Jane Seymour and a son. So at the end of Henry's life, he had a male heir, and that that was a good thing. But he also had two daughters who was questionable whether they were legitimate or not. Now, under common law, illegitimate children don't inherit. But the rules of whether somebody's illegitimate or not were a bit confused, because if parents married in good faith, then even if it turned out the marriage wasn't valid, the children were still legitimate. So you could argue that certainly Mary was legitimate, because her parents had married in good faith, and possibly Elizabeth. So it was it was sort of a, a point of contention. So Henry decided that Parliament was the answer. And Parliament agreed to pass the Act of Succession, drawn up in 1543 and passed in 1544, which confirmed Edward, because uh, that was a matter of common law that It would be quite hard to overturn that. So Ed was was to inherit as as a son, and he was to be followed by Mary and Elizabeth. So that was an act of Parliament. And Parliament then went on to say that the King, in a suitable document, such as a will that he signed himself, could specify what happened after Mary and Elizabeth. Okay didn't say that he could, once it was an act of parliament, it didn't say that Henry could just arbitrarily (laughs) move Mary and Elizabeth out of succession because that was a parliamentary act and a king can't unilaterally overcome a parliamentary act, but he could add to it. So Henry took it upon himself to do just that. So the act of succession was followed in his will, Edward, Mary, Elizabeth. But then he said instead of reverting to common law as it would have done had he not specified in his will, which would have made Mary Queen of Scots his heir after Elizabeth, he intervened and, as the act allowed him to do, named Francis's children, hoping that she would have a son. He Mm. was still hoping she would have a son. He didn't name Francis herself. He skipped the generation, probably because he didn't think much of Dorset, uh, Francis's husband, so, so he sort of skipped the generation. But obviously... You know, this was highly unlikely in his view, anything because Edward was going to marry and have children or Mary would or Elizabeth would. I mean, this was something that was very unlikely. So when Henry died, that made Catherine Gray fourth in line to the throne. Edward, Mary, Elizabeth, her older sister, Jane, and herself, number four. So that brought her, uh, I mean, she was obviously potentially always a, a. a valuable woman to marry because she was obviously related to the royal family and a daughter of a marquis but it certainly made her a more eligible young lady for other nobles to want their sons to marry absolutely yeah probably didn't make much difference to her on a day-to-day level no she was, only, she was only 7 or 8 so you know
0: but what did make quite a difference was edward's then device for succession in 1553. Yes,
1: exactly. So in 1553, Edward, even more misogynist perhaps <laughs> than his father had been, <laughs> decided that actually women as his heirs were a terrible idea, particularly his sister Mary, because she was um, diametrically opposed to him as far as religion was concerned. And really, you could say, well, what. And once, once he wanted to cut out Mary, he had to cut out Elizabeth as well, because they, they sort of came as an illegitimate heir in a way. So what he attempted to do was uh, what he called his device for the succession, which aimed to completely ignore the Act of 1544 and name firstly the heirs male of the Lady Frances. Now, as we know, Mary uh, Frances didn't have any sons. Then it was to be the heirs male of the Lady Jane the heirs male of the Lady Catherine, the heirs male of the Lady Mary Grey. So all of these as yet unborn males were yes. to succeed Edward. So, I mean, although he was a clever lad at 15, this was clearly not a feasible plan because it left the throne to people who weren't born. <laughs> um, and there was no prospect of being born because the girls were all too young to marry and Frances hadn't had children for several years, so she was unlikely to spring forth in another pregnancy. So, and probably when Edwards drew it up, he wasn't really thinking it would happen anyway because re- they didn't realise he was so ill at that time. Then he fell ill and it was obvious that he would die. He was still underage and there was no time to call Parliament. So he changed his device to skip over Francis and go straight to Lady Jane and her heirs male. Now, the problem with this device for the succession, it's been sort of talked about, but fundamentally, he was told at the time he couldn't do it because a king can't overturn an act of parliament. Had parliament been summoned, they might have been persuaded to overturn the act of succession. That was a possibility, but he couldn't do it unilaterally. He was also underage, so in law, he couldn't make a will anyway that was valid. Even kings have to obey the law. So enough people were persuaded to support it, but it was, a very, it was very shaky legally. That's yeah. <laughs> the best you could say is that it was shaky. And it was, uh, it was um, uh, yeah, a, a, a bit of wishful thinking, really. But of course, for Catherine, this, the potential was, I mean, the, the way the whole thing was supposed to unfold was that Edwards, it was to make this device for the succession. They'd get Parliament to ratify it, and then it would become the law. So Catherine was suddenly winging her way up the list of eligible females in the country to be number 2 after Jane. Jane was quickly snapped up by the Duke of Northumberland for his son Gifford and Catherine was allocated to the young Lord Herbert. Now his father William Herbert had been the brother-in-law of Queen Catherine Parr and he had a son and Catherine was married to this lad May 1553, same day as Jane married Gifford, and she was only 12, Catherine, but went to live with her husband, that marriage was not consummated, although 12 was the age of consent for marriage, by those mid-1550s, you know, they didn't consummate them so young, they normally waited till the children were 15 or 16, was about the norm, but Mm. she still went to live with her in-laws, and... Became quite attached to her husband, or he wasn't fully her husband, but man, she'd, she'd gone through the marriage ceremony with. But it all came unstuck.
0: Yes, <laughs> it really, I mean, that's quite a way to put it. It really did. Yes, do you want to explain how and why the marriage was annulled and, and kind of what the fallout was?
1: Yes, yeah, so. Uh, As I say, she was 12 years old, her husband was about 15, they lived with his parents at Barnard Castle in London through the summer of 1553. Then Edward died, not yet 16, quite an unpleasant death for the poor chap. Obviously Northumberland hoped that uh, Jane would be accepted as Queen, but that was not to be the case. Mary raised an army, didn't take it lying down as they had probably expected she would and it was soon apparent that Jane didn't have public support. And one of the first people to peel off from this coup was Catherine's father-in-law, the Earl of Pembroke, who was a man who very much with his eye to the main chance, and he certainly wasn't going to be hanging about. So the minute that it was apparent that Mary was going to take the throne, poor Catherine was sent back to her mother, and the marriage was to be annulled. Now, she didn't Want the marriage to be annulled and ordered her young husband, and they claimed they had consummated it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because once a marriage was consummated, that was it. There was no going back on it. You were stuck together for life. But her parents, his parents, they paid absolutely no attention to what they said. So it's highly unlikely it was consummated, but if it was, they were ignored. So Catherine was sent back to her mother, and the two were separated. Then Catherine, I mean, it's it seems it's quite strange to think about how how many people were executed during the period and how many Mm -hmm. close relatives were executed. So Jane went to the tower along with her father. There was hopes. Mary didn't particularly want to have them executed. Uh, Suffolk was uh, uh, James. uh, Catherine's father had now become Duke of Suffolk coming from Marcus of Dorset. He'd become Duke of Suffolk. He was forgiven. Francis had uh, pleaded with her cousin, and fa- father was forgiven. Jane remained in the Tower, but the plan was to, mm-hmm. that in due course, she would be she would be released. And Catherine and Francis both joined Mary at the court. Catherine was appointed to the Queen's Privy Chamber, which was a, a position of honour. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it all seems so strange, really. Do you think you know your, your father and your well, your sisters in in prison, but you're yeah. you're working for the woman who's got her in prison? So it, yeah, it's it's hard to get your head around. But Mary didn't want to execute Jane, but Suffolk then foolishly became embroiled in another rebellion, and that was the end for Suffolk and Jane. And Catherine retained her place in the queen's household. She received a very, very touching letter from her sister. Um, one of the last things Jane did before she was executed was to write to Catherine, and the whole tenor of her letter was to persuade Catherine to stay in the reformed faith and to believe in her opportunity for salvation through faith. Uh, you know, it's, it's quite sad to think of this—you know, sixteen-year-old girl writing, writing to her sister. Mm. Um, uh, Catherine doesn't seem to have had the same interest in religion as, as Jane had. She, I think she was just much more, much more what you might call normal in her approach to religion. She wasn't yeah. so bothered by it. So, yeah, she stayed in the Queen's household and made new friends. And among her friends was Jane Seymour. Jane Seymour was the niece of the late queen and also had been maternal cousin to, to Edward VI. And Jane Seymour and Catherine became friends. They were both young women. And they spent most of their time, you know, sort of gossiping and talking about boys. And <laughs> Catherine was still sorry that the marriage with Herbert had been broken up. But mm. over the next couple of years, she became acquainted with Jane's brother. Yes. Young Edward Seymour, and the two fell in love, and they hoped to marry and It's likely that Queen Mary would have permitted it. Mm. She was not so concerned about the succession uh, or uh, as Elizabeth later was, partly because Mary had more confidence in her own legitimacy, um, mm-hmm. having sort of been brought up as legitimate, whereas elizabeth hadn't And also she had married and hoped, although she turned out that obviously she never did have children, she did hope that she would. So it's certainly possible that she would have allowed Catherine and Edward Seymour to marry. Mm -hmm. And Francis was in favour of the idea and as was Seymour's mother. I mean, it was a perfectly suitable match. Yeah, There was absolutely no reason why it shouldn't happen. They were of uh, the right age, the right rank. You know, there was no good reason against it. And they would probably have been given consent, except that Queen Mary died.
0: Yes. That could happen. It was a big change. Maybe we could talk a little about who Edward Seymour was, because you said that he was a good match in terms of his rank and his age. What was the significance of being part of the Seymour family at the time? And his father is very significant in his childhood as well, isn't he?
1: Yes. Now, the Seymours, they were a fairly obscure family gentry. To Henry Seymour, he was was a gentleman, he owned a place called Wolf Hall. His wife, Marjorie Wentworth, had been a lady-in-waiting to Henry VIII's mother, Elizabeth of York. And their daughter, the first Jane Seymour, served at the court of Henry VIII and eventually became his third wife and the mother of King Edward VI. When Henry died and Edward was still so young... Jane Seymour's brother Edward Seymour became the Lord Protector, and awarded himself the title of Duke of Somerset. He'd been given the title of Earl of Hertford by Henry VIII, but uh, he felt that being Duke was far (laughs) more suitable. So his second wife, a a woman called Anne Stanhope, she was she was quite a noted reformer. The Seymours had moved very much into the Protestant reformist camp, Mm. but. Despite that, Anne Stanhope, or uh, Duchess of Somerset, she was actually a good friend of Queen Mary's, despite their religious differences. And in fact, Mary was probably her only friend because Anne Stanhope was not a popular woman. Most people thought she was very um, overbearing and proud. But her husband was fond of her, and they had quite a few children, of whom Edward and Jane were were two. There were, there were various others. Jane, like the Grey Sisters, had been brought up very academically
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um so which is probably what to a degree she and Catherine had in common although Catherine perhaps wasn't so academic so they were both the children of Dukes so Catherine was the daughter of the Duke of Suffolk Edward was the son of the Duke of Somerset he was Earl of Hertford and in due course would expect to become Duke of Somerset probably although the title had been put in abeyance as a sort of part of the the fallout when the Duke of Somerset was executed. But that's yes. by the by. Uh, yeah, so he so was the right age, the right background, right education, and their parents were friends. So no reason at all for the match not to take place.
0: No, no apart from the <laughs> fact that Queen Elizabeth didn't quite like the idea of it. And it seems that she really didn't like Catherine, just personally and politically.
1: I, I think that's true. I don't think... Elizabeth was not a woman's woman. I mean, you can see, I mean, she did have a couple of close women friends, but by and large, she was a woman who got on with men, liked men, had men friends rather than women friends. I can't prove this in any way, but I think she was inclined to be jealous of other people's friendships. And she was very, very attached to her stepmother, Catherine Parr. And I think the fact that Catherine Parr was also fond of Jane Grey I think Elizabeth was probably jealous of that and she didn't like any of the greys. She sort of tarred them all with the the brush of um, not always being first with Catherine Parr. So I can't prove that, but I I think there's an element of that in it. And possibly she just didn't like Catherine. Perhaps she thought she was silly. Perhaps she thought, you know, just we don't like everybody. But even more than whether she liked Catherine or not personally, Catherine, through no fault of her own, For those people who thought that Henry VIII's will was valid and appropriate, Catherine was her heir. And as Elizabeth later said, with reference to another heir, potential heir, do you think that I would love my winding sheet? So every time she saw Catherine, she's thinking, they're all going to gang up on me. And Elizabeth had found during Mary's reign that she was constantly besieged by people who are unhappy with Queen Mary. They were. They wanted Elizabeth to get involved in plots, mm. they wanted to undermine the quicker. And she knew that as soon as she agreed who her successor was going to be, that exactly the same thing would happen. That person would become the focus of plots, even if they didn't want to be.
0: Yeah, and it really did seem like Catherine did start to get pulled into different plots because she was a very powerful to be able to to play in the game of you know the Tudor dynasty,
1: exactly. And she was only young; she was only a teenager, so possibly more easily influenced than had she been older. The queen possibly got off on the wrong foot. She demoted her from being um, in Queen Mary's privy chamber. She was just demoted to the presence chamber, which anybody any yeah. you know noble could go into. And the Spanish ambassador picked up on this immediately. And of course, you know, so, oh, poor, poor Catherine, poor, Catherine, oh, the Queen's treating you so badly. And Catherine said, yes, you know, yes, I've been passed over and offended and the Queen doesn't like me and blah, blah, blah. And so, of course, the Spanish ambassador is busy encouraging Catherine to think, well, perhaps I'm, I am legitimate and Elizabeth isn't and I'm younger than her. and I could get married and, the, and it was suggested to her that maybe she should marry the Prince of Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, of course, must have made Elizabeth's hair stand on end, the thought that um, <laughs> yeah might, might have a husband who had an army and a navy. So, you know, that, that certainly didn't endear Catherine to Elizabeth at all. So, in the meantime, the little love affair between Catherine and Edward Seymour was going on in the background. Yes. And... Perhaps if Elizabeth had permitted the marriage, but of course, because she herself couldn't decide whether to marry, if to marry, who to marry, what to do about the whole marriage question. The idea that her heir then might have children and a son, Mm. um, there was no way she she was going to encourage that sort of thing. But the two young people, they discussed it. They talked about it. Quite a lot of people knew they were planning it. There was an idea that if they could persuade enough of Elizabeth's counsellors that it was a good match, that she would permit it. So yes. they approach Lord Robert Dudley, who was um, obviously Elizabeth's friend. They approached Cecil, who was her greatest advisor. But everybody was saying, no, 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 don't, don't rush into it. Let's, we'll talk the Queen around. Let's just take it slowly. But uh, you can't say that to...
0: No, to young love. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yes, a, a couple of teenagers in love you know we know what's going to happen
0: um, yes and there was a, a secret betrothal planned
1: yes that was the first the first step I mean at one point Hartford as he then was so everything yeah. at, at Hartford, he thought maybe we would better back off from this so he so he backed off and he started flirting with another Young lady and Catherine was distraught, and she wrote to him, and he thought terrible about it. So he said, "Okay, well, let's have a secret engagement, secret betrothal, and there was a ring." So they did that. Sort of what made a marriage was was a bit complicated. It wasn't clear cut whether you were married or not married, uh, which was great from the point of view of people who wanted to wriggle out of being married, but of course didn't happen. Yeah. Could create complications. So certainly before the Reformation, in the medieval period, if two people agreed to marry, considered themselves to be married, and had slept together, then they were married. Didn't mm-hmm. matter that there hadn't been a priest, didn't matter that their parents hadn't agreed. If they themselves said, we are married and we have slept together, they were married. It was a lot easier if you had a witness to say, oh, yes, I heard them call each other husband and wife. Because, you know, if one of them had died and the other said, oh, we were married, and you have no witnesses, then very hard to prove. Mm -hmm. And ideally, you should have a priest to do the job. But it wasn't 100% required. By this time, with the Book of Common Prayer that had been introduced, reintroduced when Elizabeth came to the throne, you were supposed to have called the bands or had a license in order to marry. But it wasn't clear that if you hadn't, you weren't married. You were supposed, so it it was a a bit blurred. Mm -hmm. So the young couple having promised to marry, once they had slept together, in many ways that might be considered a binding marriage, but they decided that they would know, do it properly, and they would get a priest. So one day when the queen was out hunting, Catherine said, oh, I've got terrible toothache. I'm going to stay stay at home, and my friend Jane is going to stay with me and look after me. So no sooner had the dust of the queen's hall settled than mm-hmm. Catherine and Jane jumped in a barge and went down the river to Cannon Row, which was where Edward, Earl of Hartford had a house. They went into the house. The servants saw them. They went out and Jane said, "I'll leave you two to uh, get acquainted, yep. and I'll go first." <laughs> So she goes out, she finds a priest. Now, it's not clear whether she just grabbed the first fellow walking along the street with a dog collar or whether Edward had already got one lined up. And we don't know what his name was. Anyway, she brings him back to the house. He pronounces the words, and then Jane uh, leaves, them, leaves them to it for a few hours. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're definitely married now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's <totally> official. <laughs> And then they go back and, you know, Catherine says, oh, my tooth's much better now, and life goes on. And they're meeting in secret, of course, and it becomes fairly well known around the court that they're certainly more friendly than they should be for an unmarried couple. Yes. Uh, Nobody knows they're secretly married. And the Queen starts to notice this, Cecil starts to notice this, and the Duchess of Somerset, and who presumably doesn't know her son is secretly married, and Cecil comes up with the idea that actually, I think it's time to send young Hartford abroad, mm-hmm. out of harm's way. So Hartford says to Catherine, "Look, I've got to go," and she says, "I think I'm expecting." And he said, "Oh, right. If you are pregnant, we've got to go to the Queen." And she says, "Oh, no, I, I'm probably not. I'm probably not." And then poor Jane dies.
0: Yeah,
1: nasty disease, and she dies. And. Catherine still isn't certain whether she's pregnant or not um you know she probably didn't have anybody she could ask
0: no because her mother was dead her sister was dead now Jane had died so she was pretty on her own in terms of understanding that part of a woman's life
1: and they didn't have as much knowledge as we have now medically yeah you know it's perfectly possible that she didn't menstruate regularly anyway. I mean, depending on her age and her weight and her, her general health, so they did, certainly didn't know as soon as we know that they're expecting. So Hartford, having been told to go abroad, off he goes. Says, "Look, if you're pregnant, write to me, and I'll come home." And he makes his will, leaves her money and land, and he's got no intention of sneaking out of this one. He, he no. really does. He really does love her, and they love. He lo- She loves him, and they they are married. They think they're married. Anyway, he goes abroad and, of course, she is pregnant and she writes to him and she gets no response. And whether he didn't get the letters or who knows, she panics, but she thinks, oh, God, I'm pregnant. I'm going to be disgraced. And then, I don't know where the idea came from. She thinks,
0: ah, whatever happened to my first husband? (laughs) I, know, I just like this is a I think this is a sign of pure panic. I was like I'm gonna try and work this out because I'm on my own and I don't know how to deal with this.
1: Yeah. And they'd been fond of each other and they'd wanted to stay married and it does seem a bit bizarre, but perhaps she thought, Oh you know, gosh, perhaps perhaps he'll help me. You know, he yeah. loved me once, maybe he'll help me. Anyway, so she gets in touch and then says, I think we were really married. Looking back, yeah, I think we really were married. And he's quite pleased with this, possibly because he, he was still fond of Catherine, but possibly he thought, well, you know, she is the Queen's heir. You know, it, it was always a good match. It's still yeah. a good match. So he starts writing to her and sending her presents and what have you. And then he finds out that she's in trying to contact Hartford. And he is absolutely horrified. So he writes to her and says, you dreadful, dreadful woman, you're trying to entrap me with sweet bait. Uh, send back my letters or I'll expose you to the Queen. Mm. Fair play to me he didn't. So even though he was obviously upset, he didn't actually drop her in it, but he, he sort of takes herself off in a huff. And by this point, of course, it's becoming more and more apparent that... Uh,
0: yeah, you can't hide the pregnancy at this point.
1: <laughs> no. So the court's on a jaunt to Norfolk, I can't remember, either Norwich or Ipswich, Ipswich, I think. Anyway, so one day she thinks, right, I'm going to ask for help. And she goes to Lady St. Lowe now, Lady St. Lowe might be the famous Bess of Hardwick, who was Lady St. Lowe at this time. Yeah. Or it might be Bess's sister-in-law, the other Lady St. Lowe. No, it's not, not clear. Now, she and Bess of Hardwick ha- had been friends for a long time. She'd been godmother to one of Bess's children. And Bess had been a actually a lady-in-waiting in, her, in Frances' household. So it could have been Bess, but it, it might have been the other Lady St. Lowe. Anyway, whichever Lady St. Lowe it was said, I'm sorry, you're on your own. I am not going to the Queen with this story.
0: (laughs) Which is kind of understandable because she knew what she was going to walk into when she told (laughs) the Queen that. Yes, the
1: the Queen would quite often shoot the messenger. so. (laughs) 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 So
0: instead she went to Dudley.
1: Yes. Now, Dudley, I mean, Dudley, poor old fellow, has a bit of a bad reputation, but quite often he does seem to try to help people, and he seems to be quite kind-hearted in some ways. I know that's probably not his reputation. But anyway, he he says to Catherine, yes, I'll try to help you. Yeah. So he goes and breaks the news to Elizabeth, who loses her rag entirely. (laughs) Incandescent with rage. Not only has Catherine married without her permission, She's expecting, and Elizabeth knows she's been flirting with the Spanish ambassador. So, absolutely.
0: All in all, yeah, all in all, not good.
1: (laughs) Not good at all. Hartford is sent for to come back instantly, and the pair of them are thrown into the tower. Now, It's sort of questionable, have they committed an offence? Well, strictly they have, because under the Act of Succession of 1536, it was an offence to marry into the succession without royal permission. Right. So they have committed an offence if they're married. And Elizabeth says, you know, I'm sure they're not really married. In Mm. fact, I'll bet she's about to have an illegitimate child, and you do not want the kind of woman who has an illegitimate child to be your queen." So she has just completely disgraced herself. Yeah, She can't succeed anyway. Dreadful woman, dreadful woman. I'm going to check, but I'm sure she hasn't been married.
0: Yes, funnily enough, the the council did come to that conclusion.
1: (laughs) Indeed they did, yes. Which is why we know about the story about Jane going to the house and and the servants had seen them. But the priest was never found. Now, you wonder how hard they looked for him. Mm-hmm. and I'm betting he didn't go, oh, it was me, Perhaps he took a, a trip to France or Italy for a couple of couple of years. Yeah. Anyway, they never found him, and although Catherine Edward both said they were married, which mm-hmm. under the previous sort of law would mean that they were married, they picked on the fact that they hadn't called the bands or had a licence, they couldn't find the priest, there were no witnesses, no, says the Archbishop, you're not married. The child's illegitimate. Mm. So there's poor Catherine. She bears a child in the Tower of London. She calls him Edward, which just rubs salt into Elizabeth's wounds. <laughs> yeah. Catherine not only has a child, but it's a boy. Yeah. And she's languishing in the Tower. Edward's languishing in the Tower. And, of course, people feel sorry for them because everybody thinks, well, why yeah. shouldn't they get married? It's not reasonable. The way the Queen's behaving is not reasonable. And in fact, Hartford's now been fined £15,000, uh, though that might have been a bit later. But anyway, at some point, he paid a fine of £15,000.
0: Yes, for uh, deflowering the Royal Virgin. Yes. Which is <laughs> the most amazing language for, uh, for what happened. Because they did actually have another boy whilst they were both in the Tower of London, so how did that happen? Well, I
1: think because everybody felt that the Queen had been too harsh felt sorry for them and turned a blind eye to a couple of meetings and given that they were apparently very much in love, you know they they took advantage of that ten minutes and yes <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: well documented <laughs>
1: yeah. uh the result was um another another little boy, and yes. so. <laughs> Elizabeth was beyond, beyond words. The lieutenant of the tower who'd permitted it, he was sent to one of his own dungeons or cells. And yeah, so there was there was absolute outrage. And Elizabeth's plan was basically to leave them in the tower and throw away the key. But then there was a very bad outbreak of a pandemic.
0: I know. When I was reading, I was like, this is a bit close to home, that they're sending everyone home because there's a plague. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes so Elizabeth was persuaded that actually regardless how naughty Catherine had been it was too dangerous she had to be sent into the country so she was sent to her uncle Lord mm. Grey with her youngest child and Hartford and the oldest child were sent to his mother mm-hmm. so I mean the, the little boy can only have been you know, a a year or two old. So separated from his mother. I mean, with his father, his grandmother, but it must have been heartbreaking for Catherine. Yeah. And for the
0: next four
1: or five, six years, Catherine was under house arrest, first with Lord John Grey, Mm -hmm. who felt very sorry for his niece and actually wrote to Cecil saying, surely the Queen is, she's being very unforgiving. It's, It's very unkind. She really should forgive, but Elizabeth wouldn't. And then she went to Ingotston Hall under the care of another gentleman. And then she was at Cuckfield Hall under the care of a chap called Sir Owen Hopton. And she was yeah, under permanent house arrest. Yeah. And it destroyed her mental health, I think you could say. She became very depressed. She wouldn't eat. She wouldn't sleep. She wouldn't talk. She, you know, she just sank into terrible depression.
0: Yeah, there's died. a really sad letter that she wrote to Edward that about how she longed to be with him in the tower where their baby had been gotten. She's yeah. clearly just really heartbroken.
1: Yes, yeah, no, it's it's really sad. She was only a young woman, and uh, she died at the age of twenty-eight, and because she had nothing to live for, her child, her older child, had been taken from her, and there was, didn't seem any prospect that Elizabeth would. Let her out of house arrest, so she was spent mm. her entire time just trapped. Yeah. Um, what do
0: we know about those last moments for Catherine?
1: Only, yeah, only that she sort of wouldn't eat. I do think they sent doctors to her. I mean, the, the the queen did send a doctor, I think, and Sir Owen Hopton was keen for her to be treated properly because obviously the death of the queen's cousin in his house was never a, never, never a good thing. Um, but yeah, yeah, she just. I mean, you don't want to put twenty first century ideas onto it, but I'd guess anorexia was probably Mm. the ultimate cause because she wouldn't eat.
0: And she left Edward with quite a significant parting gift, didn't she?
1: Yes, she left him the betrothal ring with the diamonds that he'd first given her, and also her wedding ring. And uh, perhaps if she'd if she'd accepted, written to the Queen and said, "Look, I accept, I'm not married," but she never would. She wrote to the Queen. And she signed herself Catherine Hartford. So although she didn't have the religious zeal of of her sister Jane, she certainly had the same determination. Yeah, and Her determination was to recognise her husband and children. Had she been willing to say, oh, you know, I made a mistake, we're not married, my children aren't legitimate, religion- possibly Elizabeth might have unbent a bit. But Catherine didn't. Uh, whether she ever received the advice to do that, I don't know. But she certainly didn't do it off her own um, and that no so, and edward flourished like the green bay tree
0: yes because oh, he lived for so long after her
1: yes and bizarrely he made two further secret marriages i know he was a secret husband the <laughs> <was laughs> two, <laughs> two women who have the same name which i can't remember off the top of my head uh, uh, two two howard girls i think yeah, yeah same first name so and francis howard i think <laughs> Yes, that was Top it. My two Francis Cowards. Both were secret marriages. He was eventually rehabilitated by Elizabeth after paying the £15,000 fine. And he never took a big part in Elizabethan politics, but he remained Earl of Hertford. And he, he sort of had various crown jobs, but mm-hmm. nothing, nothing special. But of course, those two secret marriages didn't have the same risk attached to yeah. them. He just enjoyed... Just enjoyed the
0: fact that he enjoyed a secret marriage. Did he try to? Did he try to legitimize his marriage and find the priest or legitimize his children
1: after Elizabeth's death? Yeah. Um, yes, partly because his grandson, another Edward Seymour, had contracted another secret marriage with another heir to the throne, Arbella Stuart. Yes. And, of course, it was very important that Edward, Arbella's husband, be seen to be of a legitimate line. I mean, he Mm. himself was legitimate because his parents had been married, but that his grandparents had been married was a question. And, funnily enough, in, I don't think it was as late as 1621, but in the 1610s, the priest turned up. Magically. (laughs) Yes. So whether Edward had known where he was all along, which... I don't know why didn't he produce him. Yeah, back it, it
0: in would history? be weird, wouldn't it?
1: Or case. whether the guy just maybe came out of hiding. Uh, anyway, or they found somebody who was willing to say he was the priest. which yeah. might be the other answer to that mystery. Anyway, so priest turns up and says, "Yeah, I, I remember marrying those too. Remember it as if it was yesterday." <laughs> so, so it was agreed that marriage was legitimate. The Seymour descendants were legitimate, and. The grandson became Duke of Somerset. And perhaps in memory of his unhappy grandparents, he had Catherine's remains moved from where she'd been buried. It, near Cuckfield Hall in Suffolk, was taken to Salisbury Cathedral, where she does now lie next to Edward, who had survived her for 50 years.
0: Yeah, and it's quite beautiful. White to alabaster effigies of them both, and she's slightly above him. It is lovely, isn't it?
1: Yes, yes. Let, let let us hope that they were happy in the afterlife. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's yeah. a testament to their love story that they're they're together.
1: Yes, yes, and that the story was remembered in the family, and that the, the grandson thought actually, I'll go to all the trouble of moving her and paying for a very expensive. Though of course, having a having a royal relative is never a bad thing. But you know, let, let's let's look at his positive motives. <laughs>
0: Yeah and how do you think they should be remembered as a couple now? Uh
1: well I think yeah it's one of the one of the saddest stories because it seems such a waste of uh, of what could have been a happy and fruitful life for two people who Yeah I mean they did break the law they, you know they weren't supposed to marry without royal consent so they were foolish but I think the punishment that Catherine endured was out of all proportion. Mm. But then you can say well yes Elizabeth was harsh but be a queen is you can't take the easy options always from Elizabeth's point of view if you encourage somebody that plots are going to focus around you create problems in the country you've got a risk of civil war you, you can't just think about your human feelings you have to think about the wider politics but yeah I think they're they're one of the saddest love stories of the Tudor age actually and, yeah. yeah but I hope they're happy somewhere <laughs>
0: I completely agree, and I've thoroughly enjoyed learning about them. Thank you so much for talking to me today.
1: It was a pleasure.
0: And thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed listening to the first Past Loves Tudor episode, even though it was admittedly an utterly heartbreaking and gut-wrenching tale of love between Catherine and Edward. Her sister, Lady Jane Grey's story, is so very familiar. So I was really pleased to be exploring another Grey sister's story that is not as widely known. And I think Catherine and Edward's love story really is a testament to the power of love and the way in which they fought to be with each other for as long as they could is so touching, so poignant, so palpable. I'm just very happy to know that now they are together again where where they should be. A big thank you as well goes to Melita for taking us on this journey into the Tudor court to discover all of the romance and intricacies of their story. Be sure to check out Tudor Times, where you will find all that you may ever need to know about Britain in the period from 1485 to 1625 at www.tudortimes.co.uk. The link will of course be in the show notes, and I will also include the link to their ebook uh, The Tudor Times Insights, Lady Catherine Grey, Tudor Prisoner, which explores the life of Lady Catherine Grey, and of course her time with Edward. If you have enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening to it now, Perhaps you could tell me whether you're a fan of the Tudors or not. And if this episode inspires you to get back to some Tudor history of any kind, let me know over on Instagram at Past Loves Podcast because if Past Loves has become your current love, there's no better way to get even more content about love stories from history. Thank you again for listening. I look forward to next week when we will be returning to the Yorkshire countryside to discover a love story documented in diary after diary. But just, who could it be, I wonder? Find out next week. Until soon!